You're listening to the Gator Sports Podcast with your host, Zach Alboverde. Coming in hot. And Graham Hall. Jumping. Coming smooth. Jumping. And the bass gets jumping. Brought to you by the Gainesville Sun and Gatorsports.com. Welcome into the latest Gator Sports Podcast presented by the Gainesville Sun. I'm your host, Zach Albaverde, joined to my right by my co-host, Graham Hall, and we are here to preview South Carolina and Florida. But before we get into that game, we have a lot to dissect and discuss from this past week. I don't think folks want to hear much about the results from last Saturday, but nonetheless, we will discuss everything that's kind of gone down in Gainesville this week, where things stand with them on and his program and uh, everything that's got Gator fans, I think, concerned, bothered. I don't know what other adjective you'd like to use, Graham, but Gators definitely need to get a win on Saturday, that's for sure. Yeah, must-win game for like the, what, fourth time (laughs) in a row? What a week it has been. Really, what a month it has been. I was saying this to you, a horrible October for the Florida football program. Just everything kind of spiraled downhill. Um, We were so optimistic. I think media, coaches, fans, at the way that Florida started the season, the way that Florida even lost to Alabama was impressive because you could make the argument, to recap, that at the end there, the Gators, if they had a little more time, would have had a chance at beating the number one team in the country. And it looked like getting Anthony Richardson back, the improving defense, that this team was heading in the right direction. And then October arrived. And while we turn the calendar over now to November, October has clearly changed the trajectory in the short term for this Florida football program. And now you're talking about salvaging the season, crawling towards bowl eligibility here, beating your rival potentially when it looked like a month ago, a sure thing. Yeah. And it just really goes to show you how... This sport is 24-7, 365, and it can change overnight sometimes, or in this case, the course of a month. And I think the biggest thing that Florida needs to do, and along with getting back on track and back to their winning ways, is change the perception or change the reality of where this program is at. Regardless of whether perception or reality and how Dan Mullen wants to categorize it, I mean, there's definitely some things that he acknowledges that has to be fixed. In his post-game press conference after losing to Georgia, he discussed his team's mindset, the word mindset, 16 times in the post-game presser, saying that it needs to change, that he needs to get it fixed. And then you see some of the stories that come out this week that kind of put a microscope on some of the issues that are happening within Dan Mullen's program, one specifically from Bruce Feldman, who talked to some SEC coaches off the record anonymously to give their take on Mullen's team, the struggles that they're having this season, and why Florida has fallen off seemingly as a program, now going 2-7 and in its last nine Power 5 games. So there's a lot that has to change certainly from a recruiting standpoint, and that's why Dan Mullen has been getting peppered with questions about recruiting, which he had to clarify his comments on Wednesday. Yes, he and his staff do recruit during the season, but 
as like he mentioned, he doesn't want to get into it until after the season. Now, part of that is because he has a show cause right now, and he's not able to go on the road and recruit. The results aren't really good right now for the 2022 class, so that's not a topic he's really trying to get into in season. Now, in years past, he was willing to talk about recruiting during the year because things were going well, and he was able to go out there and hit the trail. So I get it, but there's a lot that needs to improve. I think the mindset that he talked about, he really was specifically giving kind of a woe-is-me example of when things go wrong within a game for this team – they don't know how to respond to adversity and they don't have the confidence within themselves and with the other units, whether it be offense, defense, special teams, they don't have confidence that their teammates can go make get the job done when they make a mistake or when something goes wrong in the game. And he feels like that mindset, as much as anything, is plaguing this team right now. Yeah, I can understand where he's coming from, absolutely. And who knows this team better than the coaching staff? But I think the outside perspective right now after the past month is that Dan Mullen refuses to take the majority of the accountability for this team's problems. And that's why I kind of think that right now he's getting grilled so hard by the national media fans piling on rival teams, local media, local media too. I mean, they are asking him if he, well, when we're allowed to meet with them. Well, yeah. When, whenever that happens, uh, once in a blue moon, but really the issue I, I, I think is, is Dan Mullen's, lack of accountability for his own actions. And we've talked often about loyalty and his devotion to loyalty, not just for for players who have been through the program and worked their way into a position, but coaching staff. And after this season, I I clearly think that loyalty is going to be tested because Dan Mullen may have to make some hard decisions with people that he's close with, potentially for the betterment of the program and he is going to have to make those decisions because he's got several of his assistants whose Their contracts contract, yeah. end up so so just by that matter of a fact alone he is going to have to you know make some hard decisions and the pressure that they have faced John Hevesy Todd Grantham he is going to have to either double down in what he believes is best for the program and, and possibly extend those two or go out there and find new coaches who can improve them as well as possibly new players, absolutely new players because of recruiting. So I think that certainly a lot of people are waiting to see how Dan Mullen responds now because you could make the argument that that loyalty can be mistaken for complacency when things don't go well. If Florida hasn't improved and you retain the same coaching staff, isn't that complacency in a sense? And that's going to be answered here in the offseason. And Florida has a chance now in the last month of the season to really show which way they're leaning here. And we'll get into this after our second segment where we'll be joined by Hale McGranahan from 24-7 Sports to get some perspective on the Gamecocks. But it looks like after the quarterback situation, rotation has been a big topic of discussion. Once again, there could be a change going into this Saturday because it looks like Anthony Richardson, after sustaining a concussion against Georgia, hasn't been practicing at least to the start of the week. And Emory Jones now probably slated to get his start again. And he's got to go out now on the road and try to find a way to get his first road win in the SEC something that he has yet to be able to do this season but showed once again 
against the number one team this year that he was able to at least compete and produce within the offense. The Gators had their most productive quarter in the fourth when he was in there. So that could be something potentially that they can build off of going into this game. But they got to find a way to get some confidence. But we're going to take a break right now. We'll come back on the other side and get some perspective on where this South Carolina program is at under first-year coach Shane Beamer. This is Gainesville Sun Sports Editor Arnold Feliciano. Please support our coverage of University of Florida Athletics by subscribing to the Gainesville Sun or Gatorsports.com. It's easy. Just go to www.gainesville.com slash subscribe now. Thank you for your support. I'm Blake Topmeyer, and this is SEC Football Unfiltered, a new podcast from the USA Today Network. Each week, we'll discuss the hottest topics that matter to the passionate fan bases of the SEC. I've covered the SEC for eight years. As for my co-host, longtime sports columnist John Adams, let's just say he's got a few decades on me. Not as many decades as some people think. Contrary to popular opinion, I did not cover General Nealon, but I did interview Bear Bryant, and I interviewed Nick Saban, and I covered Archie Manning and Peyton Manning. More insightful interview, John. Bear Bryant, Archie Manning, Steve Spurrier, or Johnny Majors? Got to go with Steve Spurrier there. He's the great quipster. SEC Football Unfiltered debuts this summer. Let John and I be your tour guides from the season opener through the national championship. Subscribe and listen wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here. We're now joined by Hale McGranahan from the Big Spur 247 to get you guys some perspective on South Carolina. Hale, thanks for joining us today. How's it going, man? Doing well. Appreciate y'all having me on with you guys today. No, absolutely, man. Uh, Looking forward to uh, this weekend's matchup. I know Florida fans are hoping that uh, the Gators can uh, find a way to go on the road and get a win. And South Carolina fans hoping the same thing. I think looking at a Florida team that's lost three of its last four and maybe a little bit vulnerable heading into this matchup. But give us some, uh, you know, uh, initial thoughts, uh, Hale, on South Carolina so far this season, kind of what they've accomplished uh, under first-year coach Shane Beamer. It's been very eventful, to say the least. And a lot of it starts with the quarterback position. And, and you know, that's pretty common with, with any team. But this one in particular, it's been a lot. Uh, <laughs> the whole Zeb Nolan storyline, the the guy who, who started off as a graduate assistant coach at South Carolina and I think it was June when, when he finished at North Dakota State and, and was hired to, uh, to start his coaching career at Carolina and, and Luke Doty, the guy who was the presumed starter heading into the season, um, suffered a foot injury in, in a scrimmage in August and, and they're pretty low on their, their total scholarship numbers at quarterback. So they they converted Zeb Nolan, who who began his, his college career playing at Iowa State, then finished out at North Dakota State, where he spent some time as Trey Lance's backup. But yeah, so so Doty goes down, and 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 Nolan gets into the the mix for for the starting quarterback job, and 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 wins wins the job, and and starts the first three games, and uh, week three against Georgia, uh, he he had his hand stepped on at the end of the first first series. Uh, so, so Doty came in and started the next what four games, and then Doty reaggravated his foot injury uh, against Vanderbilt, uh, and and Zeb came in for the last drive and and led the the go ahead uh, game winning touchdown drive to to win that game twenty one to twenty, and then uh, started the next week at at A and M uh, and 
got hurt in that game. And, and Doty had, meanwhile, had season-ending foot surgery. And uh, Jason Brown, who who's a, a transfer from St. Francis University, an FCS school up in Woo. Pennsylvania, uh, came in and played some in the second half. And, and now it's uh, Nolan, who Zeb's got uh, – he had a, a meniscus surgery – uh, a few days after the AM game, and 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 I think I think Jason Brown will be will be the starter uh, for the Florida game. So yeah, as I've run through all that, it's just crazy to hear me saying it out loud and, and recalling what the last you know 10, 12 weeks have been with this quarterback spot at South Carolina. It's been it's been eventful, like I said. Now, Hale, give us a, a picture of this South Carolina defense and what you've seen from them this season. Obviously. Uh, coming off of the Will Muschamp regime where obviously he had some good defenses and, and certainly recruited well, you would have to imagine on a, that defensive side of the ball. What type of talent do they have there and what have they been able to show so far? Yeah, they've, they've got some pretty good talent, uh, especially along the line. Uh, Kingsley and Barre, number one, plays defensive end, is, has been one of the most productive edge guys uh, in the SEC for the last couple of seasons and, and is the best player on the defense, best player on the team probably going to be uh, a high round draft pick uh, next spring. Uh, he, he's again, the, the top guy over there and they've got some other talented players uh, along the line uh, interior and on the edge too, for that matter, that they're pretty deep, uh, especially, you know, at, at, at the end uh, at, at linebacker, they lost their, their starting middle linebacker, Sherrod green uh, on, on George's first drive of that game. He, I think it was a hip injury or Maybe he had a hip injury last year, but nonetheless, he, he's, he's been out uh, since then and, and probably going to be done for the season. The secondary, you know, going into it, that was sort of the question mark because they lost a lot of guys uh, with that coaching transition, guys either going on to the league or, or, or hitting the portal and, and going to you know, like Florida State or Penn State, some other places. Uh, so, so they had to, to kind of scramble to, to, to get things in, in order in the secondary. Um, so – not quite as talented as they are up front, but but as a group, uh, it, it's an okay defense. They're not world beaters by any stretch, and, and they've certainly been been vulnerable uh, in some areas, uh, specifically the run, which I think probably gives Florida a little bit of confidence uh, for this game on Saturday. But uh, they're they're solid enough. Uh, South Carolina's biggest issues this team this year uh, is on the offensive side of the ball. That's that's where a lot of the concern and, and frustration with, with the fan base is kind of centered uh, here, what, eight games into the season. That leads me to my next question. I think that in recent weeks, the Florida perspective, you've seen teams like LSU that haven't had a ton of offensive success be able to have that against the Gators. When they face them, you're facing a South Carolina team now, Florida, that is ranked number 12 in the SEC in rushing. How would you assess that offense? I know there have been some questions about the offense being, I think, too complex up there. How would you assess the way it's unraveled so far? South Carolina's offense? Yeah. Is, yeah, so the issues at quarterback, guys being hurt and, and not really having any continuity there whatsoever uh, since late August, That's that's been an issue for sure. And and it's played a large part in the struggles as a whole with this group. Uh the line has not been very good at all this season, which is quite surprising, uh, especially uh, from a run blocking standpoint, because they were pretty good last year. And Kevin Harris was one of the the, the top backs in the SEC. And, and you know, he had uh, a back procedure in the summer and hasn't quite been the same as he was. But 
you know, it, it's, it just hasn't been able to, to get going on the ground really consistently, uh, whether it's him or, or some of the other guys, some of the other running backs they have who, who are pretty talented and, and were, you know, the staff was excited about before the season. Uh, but yeah, there, there have been some, some talks over the last week, few weeks or so about the offense maybe being a little too complex and, and Marcus Satterfield, the coordinator, trying to, to do some different things to, to help out, uh, to help take off some of that, that burden, whether it's, you know, getting up to the line and looking over to the sideline, you know, the, the check with me type of thing where, where uh, it, it gives the, the offense some time to, to let the staff, uh, the guys, coaches in the box, uh, get a feel for, for what, what the defense is showing. So they've, they've done some stuff uh, here and there to, to try to, to help make it a, a little less complex for, for, for the guys on game days. And, and for whatever reason, it just hasn't, hasn't quite come together. I mean, you know, I mentioned the Vanderbilt score 21 to 20. Um, that was a home game. And, you know, whether it's home or on the road, I, I think everybody in this league, South Carolina, <laughs> counted among them, uh, expects to, to beat Vanderbilt, especially this Vanderbilt team, by, by more than a point. And uh, they've, they've certainly had some issues moving the ball against teams like Troy and East Carolina and shoot even Eastern Illinois in the first half for that matter. So, uh, it's, it's just a lot of things that, that have sort of added up uh, over the course of these first couple months of the season that uh, just really hadn't been very good at all on offense. Certainly you'd expect some growing pains after a coaching change. And I think that kind of would be amplified when you go to a first-year head coach in Shane Beamer. How would you assess his first year with the program, the ups and downs? Because from the outside, it looks like he has this team believing, but what is the sense down there in Columbia? Yeah, that's, that's the important thing that, that I think a lot of South Carolina fans, especially folks who, who subscribe to 24 seven in the big spur or, or whatever, like the, the real rabid segment of the fan base, like the, the hardcores, um, you know, have, have kind of lost sight of, of some of that stuff that, that Beamer's added, which is uh, the team first mentality, uh, you know, all that feel good type of stuff uh, that, that he's been preaching he, he was preaching in the first, you know, eight, nine months of his job uh, trying to unify the fan base. I, I think some people have lost sight of that. And, and, and as tough as the season's been uh, in, in different ways, uh, it, it's pretty clear that, that the team hasn't, hasn't quit or anything like that. They just, you know, they haven't, haven't won all eight games and they've looked bad at times and, and, and that kind of wears on folks. And, and, you know, it, everybody can, can talk about, you know, family and culture and all that type of stuff going into a season. But at, at the end of the day, we all know that the only thing that matters uh, is, is what the scoreboard shows and, and the results and that type of thing. So um, there, there's some frustration that that's building. And, and some of that, of course, is as a result of, of what happened in the previous five years under, under the Muschamp regime. And uh, it, it's kind of a complex answer to give just, because of the, all the dynamics that, that went into Shane Beamer getting this job and, and how that all played out uh, about a year ago once it started. I guess I can't remember the exact date of when Muschamp got fired, but it was around the beginning of November. So uh, it, it was a very <laughs> unique hiring process, to say the least. And, and I don't know that we want to get too in the weeds on that stuff, but uh, uh, it, it's kind of a complicated, for lack of a better term, like a complicated relationship and, and, again, dynamic of how this thing all came together with Shane Beamer getting the job. 
Absolutely. And we're speaking with Hale McGranahan from 24-7 Sports. Hale, as we wrap you up, going into Saturday night's matchup in Columbia, obviously both teams at 4-4, four and four, you look at this Florida team and some of their losses – uh, maybe understandable given the opponent, some of them not, uh, especially the the one to LSU. I think South Carolina looking at that may be a potential there for them to try and get an upset. H- how do you think that they potentially pull that off? What do they have to do to be competitive in this game and, and try to find a way to get a win? Yeah, I, I think it, it's kind of the, the simple, you know, who wins up front uh, line of thinking. I mean, if, if South Carolina can, can somehow – get the running game going and, and get that on track. Like, you know, going into this season, everybody thought that they were going to be able to hang their hat and the offense was going to be able to, to make that its identity. And, and again, just for whatever reason, it hadn't worked. Um, but if, if they can get things going uh, on, on offense that way and, and slow down Florida's running attack, which, which is pretty good. And, and like I was saying earlier, there, there have been some, some vulnerabilities in, in stopping the run for South Carolina's defense. So, so to me, that's kind of, kind of the biggest – biggest two areas that, that I'm going to be looking at, regardless of who's playing quarterback for the Gamecocks. I, I think they, they still just, again, have to, to find a way to get things going on the ground to, to help that offense uh, get out of the mud a little bit. Absolutely. Well, we're happy that you were able to get us out of the mud. appreciate your time, Hale. Always good to hear from you, man, and, and get your take on, on the Gamecocks. Uh, we'll see how this uh, plays out on Saturday. I'm sure uh, Steve Spurrier will be tuned in watching his two teams. So I don't know if he's making the trip or not, but uh, he'll have on a Duke hat for his disguise. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> or, or a Washington football team hat, one or the other, right? Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's right. Well, uh, hey, again, appreciate it, man, and uh, enjoy the game this weekend, bud. All right, boys, enjoyed it. USA Today's Florida Sports Network covers the Sunshine State better than anyone else. We have reporters and columnists covering Florida, Florida State, and Miami, the Dolphins, Jaguars, and Bucks. Like NASCAR, we've got you covered. We also provide the most comprehensive high school coverage available, and so much more. In fact, we have 17 news sites that encompass the state. Hi, I'm Tim Walters, host of the State of Florida Sports Podcast. Each week, this podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring you up to speed on the most important sports topics. From Pensacola to Jacksonville, to Palm Beach to Naples, and all points in between, we've got you covered. The State of Florida Sports Podcast can be found wherever you listen to podcasts, as well as on any of our state news sites. Welcome back into the Gator Sports Pod. Zach and Graham here. Appreciate Hale for joining us and talking some South Carolina with us. And now we're going to talk some Gators as we give our X factors for Saturday's game, certainly starting on the offensive side of the ball. We alluded to it at the end of the first segment, but my X factor, given the quarterback situation and where things stand with Anthony Richardson, has to be Emory Jones. Him going back into another SEC road environment, trying to get his first win as a starter on the road in the SEC, and more importantly, most importantly, have a turnover-free game. I feel like I've been beating this drum all season, and I've said this several times, but the Gators have thrown more interceptions than any other team in the FBS. 
combined with Emory Jones and Anthony Richardson. So they got to find a way to start cleaning that up. Emory Jones getting this opportunity again to resume his starting job, lead this team and get them back on track. Uh, This is kind of his time. So I, I think going into another game where if Anthony Richardson not only is not going to play but is unavailable because of his concussion, we've seen Emery, when he knows that he's the guy and that Emery's not going to come into the game, i.e. Alabama when Richardson was out for with a hamstring, that Emery plays really well when he doesn't have to look over his shoulder. So I think this could be another one of those examples where that comes to fruition, and I think for Florida, they certainly need that to be the case. So Emery Jones... Got to have a big game on Saturday and not turn the ball over for Florida to come out victorious. I think you will see the Emory Jones you saw for those three quarters against Alabama, that fourth quarter against Georgia. But he can't do it alone for this team. He needs to have someone in the backfield helping him out. We've seen how he, how efficient he is when he's running the option back there and has a dependable back that he trusts. That has to be Damian Pierce for me on Saturday. He's my X factor. He's coming off the most rushing yards he's had all season with 69. We talked about how he had the eight touchdowns coming in before. Didn't find the end zone against the Bulldogs, but it's clear to me that this guy, I don't want to say he's the best running back. He's got a knack for the end zone. Absolutely. And he seems to just be the best, I think, running between the tackles here. For sure. And just a bruiser. I think you need that to wear down this Gamecocks defense on Saturday and help out Emory Jones. And I will say to the coaching staff's credit, there have been a lot of folks that have been advocating for more Naquan Wright in the past two games. They have given him more carries. Now, anybody would have a tough time sometimes getting yards against Georgia, but Damian Pierce, to your point, was able to do it. I think he's certainly earned the opportunity. I think just in in any game, like, They've clearly have this three-man rotation, and all guys are going to be involved, and all guys deserve to be involved. But I, I think that whoever clearly has the hot hand on any given Saturday probably should be the back that ends up with double-digit carries, and that hasn't always been the case. Um, I think whoever is playing well or, or seems to be finding more success against that defense that day needs to just get a little bit more of the load. And and for a lot of times, it's been Damian Pierce. There's been games where it's been Naquan Wright. And certainly Malik Davis has had his moments. But as as of late, Pierce has been the guy that I think has been running the hardest. And I think for this rushing game to get back on track, he's a guy that needs to help contribute to that more. And they haven't had over 200 yards rushing in their last four games. So that's something that they need to start making happen again. Going over to the defensive side of the ball, I think certainly trying to find a way to get some more pressure on the quarterbacks. They weren't able to get any sacks against Georgia. There was one that was credited to Florida, and that was to Trey Dean, but that was on the intentional grounding by Stetson Bennett. So not the pressure that they wanted to get against that Georgia offensive line. I think if you're going to count on anybody to provide some pressure on Saturday and and get some sacks against a very, very inexperienced uh, South Carolina quarterback, that's got to be Zach Carter. And and I think he's been one of the guys that Dan Mullen has mentioned with everything kind of unraveling and certainly some of the failures that they've experienced this season. He's been one of the team leaders that's been trying to rally the guys, especially on defense. So I think he being able to set that example, probably get some favorable matchups against a guy he can dominate. Uh, He's got to get in the backfield and I think get that uh, defense to get some juice going. Yeah, he really kind of was held in check there 
yeah. by Georgia on Saturday. Was. It was kind of disappointing to see. I know certainly he was disappointed with his performance, and you got to think a guy like that playing their final season of college football very motivated going into that final month of it. So I think that he is got to be in for a big game against this kind of inexperienced South Carolina offensive line. And I'm picking another member of Florida's defensive line rotation, a guy who gets a little bit less play than Zach Carter, but I think can be just as important on Saturday. Already has 30 tackles this season. That's Jervon Dexter. I really think that this is a guy that can really give you more inside than, than you have been getting. I know that Val- Valentino's been good there as well. So is Tyron Truesdell. But really, I think Jervon Dexter, just his size at six foot six, early in the season, that Alabama game, he was impressive. That goal line stand that he still has pinned at the top of his Twitter account. I know that he certainly knows that he can play at a higher level than he has been playing recently here. I think he has a potentially big game on Saturday, and and that may not be something that shows up in the stat sheet. He may only have three tackles like he did again on Saturday against the Bulldogs, but they cannot let another team go for 100-plus yards on the ground against them, certainly not this team. And I think what you're really asking Dexter to do is to smack around the Gamecocks like he smacked around Zach Carr this week right? <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Absolutely made sure that he uh, was using his TikTok, making some media appearances, even though he uh, wasn't talking to us and made certain that, you know, I got to say great recovery by Zach Carter on that video. If you didn't see it, Zach Carter was talking to SEC Network and Jervon Dexter came up behind him and gave him a little, I guess you could call it a little smack s- on the smack head, on the back of the head, you know, and uh, I'm a smack the back of that neck. Oh, great. Wow. That was beautiful. It was. We got to keep that. But Carter didn't flinch. And I don't know if I could have reacted the same. No. Getting I slapped mean, in the back of the head. Especially by Dexter. I mean, yeah. That's not a, a, a six heavy six hand man. right there. Yeah, like, I mean, and that's used to smacking other quarterbacks around and, and tackling to the ground. So hopefully Zach Carter's not in the concussion protocol for Saturday because I think they're going to need him too. Well, it's prediction time. The Gators are favored by 18.5 points against the Gamecocks. Uh, over under is 53.5 and a half and Obviously, Gators, uh, if they can cover that, find a way to do what Vegas expects, they can avoid having a losing record. Right now, they're 500. Uh, to have a losing record, that'd be for the first time since 2017. So that is um, not what you want to happen. And I think looking at how this game is going to play out, I-, I don't expect that to be the case. I think Florida, they've had some really tough matchups, obviously. They've had some really tough situations that they've been in. I do think that... Being on the road, seven thirty at night, uh, there's, it's going to present some challenges. Uh, and I think we saw after they were able to go on the road at LSU and kind of eliminate their penalty issues, they had some come up again in the cocktail party. So that's something to watch for. I, I do think that you know South Carolina is going to have a chance to have some moments in this game, uh, be it penalty issues from Florida or just some mishaps. It seems like. For this Gators team, they haven't been able yet to go out and and play a complete, clean game. And I don't necessarily expect that to happen on Saturday, but I do think that they will make enough plays to win the game. I think Emory Jones, knowing that he's going to be the guy on Saturday, that he's going to play well and I think build off of what he was able to do against the Bulldogs. And I got the Gators winning 31-17. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty similar here. Um, I, I think it's going to be kind of a low-scoring affair. No disrespect to Vegas. I don't know where they're getting that 50-plus number from because I think that both teams really have had offensive issues, and you could see kind of a defensive slug match really early on. One thing we've hardly talked about is what the weather's going to be like in South Carolina. It's not going to be hotter 
been 59 degrees on Saturday and it's been raining there all week long. Mm. You have to make sure that you avoid playing a, a, a turnover prone game out there because the conditions are not going to be really favorable to going out there and, and playing a clean game. So I, I think that that's certainly a factor for this team. They have to make sure that they don't shoot themselves in the foot because we certainly have seen that the turnovers has been an issue all season long you mean don't turn it over three times in two minutes at the end of the I first think half? that would not be the recipe for success man I mean we were looking there with the last three minutes thinking oh the way these first 27 minutes have gone the Gators may have a chance against this <laughs> team and then everything completely just unravels from there so they can't do that on Saturday no matter how well you play for the rest of the other 57 minutes if you make mistakes like that, it can absolutely just kill you. So Florida can't do that. They have to go in here thinking that we can't show the world that we are this turnover-prone team that we have been for much of the season. Yeah, and certainly if they can find a way to generate some turnovers as well. Yeah, so I'm actually going 24-13. Um, I, I do think that Florida gets a double-digit victory, but it, it may be close there again. Um, give South Carolina some credit. I think that Beamer has had a lot of success this season gotten that program believing you can't underestimate a team that is believing in their head coach right now so Florida definitely has to watch out for a lot of things on Saturday they can't look at the record and think that this is just a team that they can waltz in and beat yeah absolutely and before we uh, close up this episode Graham just want to get your thoughts real quick on the exhibition that we saw from the Florida basketball team as they get ready to get their season started Florida played Monday night against Embry Riddle came away with an 80 to 57 victory it was the story of transfers in that game Florida started five former transfers three new ones two former ones and Anthony Deruji and Colin Castleton that Florida fans may be that's a state of college sports right now. Absolutely. And I know a lot of people think it's an indictment of the health of a program, the recruiting, which people think is the bloodline. And it certainly is in a sense here, but recruiting happens yearly, not just at the high school level, but in the transfer portal. And I think Mike White has done an incredible job when it comes to replacing a lot of the departing figures. Last year, the guys that left, the four guys, just made up for 22 points per game. And now you add in guys that scored 56-plus points per game last season. They look like a much more veteran team. And that is really, I think, a, a dynamic factor in college basketball year in and year out. I think they have a chance to be good, but certainly a lot still remains to be seen. They're not a great shooting team, really good passing team, really good defensive team, and really physical in the front court, but shooting may be what determines this team's ceiling right now. You don't have guys like Trey Mann. They're going to shoot it lights out. Myron Jones is a little more streaky, but this team has a chance to be really, really good if all these things combine, improve, and they stay healthy. That's always a big factor for any team like this. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I was impressed with McKissick in that second half. Man. Oh, he, he got so hot. He caught fire. Uh, so looking forward to seeing what this team can do as they start up their season next week. And Graham and I will be back with you guys to recap how the game went in Columbia, the first of two trips that the Gators are going to make to Columbia to uh, close out this SEC slate. So we'll be back next week to see how that played out before we get you ready for Sanford. The Gators back in Gainesville. A much needed return for Graham Hall. I'm Zach Abelverde.